0: Trey, thank you for joining us for a Thursday edition, which is, of course, question and answer time. Which um, I will try to provide the answers. Some weeks I do, some weeks I don't, or don't do it in a very pithy way. Uh, But One thing's for sure, we can't do it without Mary Langston. So I hope through the magic of modern day technology, she's with us. Are you there, Mary Langston?
1: I'm here. I made it. How are you, Trey?
0: I have no complaints. Thank you for asking.
1: Your voice is back. So we're happy.
0: Uh, Everybody's not. (laughs) I mean, uh, in fact, you and my mom might be the only two people that I've heard say they were happy about that. It is actually not all the way back. It's okay.
1: It's getting it's, closer.
0: It's getting closer, um, but you know, at my age, I shouldn't complain. I'm just happy to be alive.
1: Me too. Well, I'm glad you're feeling a little bit better, and we hope that you'll continue to feel better. We have a lot of great questions today. They're a range. So, are you ready to get started?
0: I don't know how hard are they.
1: We will see. Well, let, uh, you let us know what you think at the end
0: okay well i think they're usually pretty hard as evidenced by the length of time it takes me <laughs> to answer them
1: that just means they're a little complicated but that doesn't mean it's hard necessarily
0: uh we shall see i'm gonna do my best i'm gonna take my beautiful wife's advice and try not to take an hour to answer what should be a yes or no question <laughs>
1: Okay, well, we'll get started. We appreciate y'all for sending us questions each week. We'll start with a question from Dennis in California. He writes, Why are district attorneys and judges allowed to not prosecute and sentence those who possess firearms illegally? And then part two, what is a reasonable minimum sentence for anyone caught having an illegal firearm or committing any unlawful act while possessing a firearm purchased legally and or illegally. There's a lot of legally and I- illegally. Yeah,
0: that's Dennis must <laughs> that's be a, a law professor. Hey, maybe he's a law professor. He's trying to stump me, which is not that hard. <laughs> he, he could have asked a lot easier question and still stumped me. <laughs> um, all right. Let me see if I can take these in the. Maybe not the order in which you ask it, but the order in which it strikes what's left of my mind. And I don't want to split hairs, but I think the I think I heard the word possess. for those who possess firearms unlawfully. Not to split hairs, but the word possess, I, I can think of three different forms of possession. There's actual, there's constructive and there's joint. So, I mean, these cases come down to facts, And what can be proven among those cases where there is a factual predicate sufficient to sustain charges and or convictions? I mean, there is a new breed of prosecutor who is trying to substitute his or her will for that of a legislative body. So when Dennis asked, why are district attorneys allowed to not prosecute? there, there, There are two answers to that question. Number one. The case may not be any good, Um, and prosecutors do have the discretion. I mean, think who makes arrests. Police make arrests. The police don't work for the prosecutors, and the prosecutors don't work for the police. So you could have an arrest, but still the prosecutor does not think the case is either legally sufficient or factually sufficient to take it before a jury or or to continue the case. Um, So those are dismissed. They're not dismissed because— some progressive prosecutor thinks that type of case should not really be a crime. They're dismissed because of an inadequate factual or legal basis for that. So um, that little dichotomy there, there there are at least two reasons for cases not to, to go forward. Now he mentioned firearms and again, not, not to split hairs, but, When somebody says an illegal firearm, my first question is usually, do you mean the firearm itself is unlawful, like a fully automatic machine gun? It doesn't matter who possesses a fully automatic machine gun. They are per se unlawful. Or a gun with an obliterated serial number that is per se unlawful. There are other guns that are legal, for someone like you, Mary Langston, to possess because you're not a convicted felon and you haven't been court-martialed and you don't have a restraining order and a domestic violence case against you. Mm-hmm. So the gun is legal, but but the possession of the gun is not legal. So think there's this, there, there are this category of cases where the weapon itself is unlawful, and it doesn't matter. A Catholic nun cannot possess that gun. And then think of your garden variety revolver. okay? completely legal gun, except there are large categories of people who cannot possess any firearm because they are what we call prohibited. So, all right. So in the last part of this question, there are states and the federal system itself which have sentences added on for the use of a gun during the commission of another crime. I think, if I remember correctly, it's five years in the federal system. I think it's a, what we call a 924 C. It is 60 extra months added on to a drug offense or a bank robbery where a gun was possessed, could have been brandished. The use of a firearm and the commission of another offense without firing that firearm gets you an extra 60 months. Now, in the state system, that's also true. Um, but I mean, I I primarily did murder cases. So you're convicted of murder. You're going to get 30 years and or life. And most of my defendants actually got life, life or death. So is a five year firearm statute really going to get your attention when this person's serving life without parole? So, yes, there are there are additional penalties if you. Use a gun during the commission of another crime. Now, you're just ordinary convicted felon stopped in a car stop, uh, but has a firearm. They're not supposed to have one, but they have one. You're going to get somewhere in the, I don't know, maybe you know, 18 to 24 month range in, in in the federal system. You probably get probation in the state system. Last point I'll say about this. What I wish prosecutors and police officers would do is prosecute these gun cases when the gun was merely possessed, but not fired or not fired to hurt someone. I mean, if a gun has been used to shoot someone, then something terrible has already happened. And the the sentence for that otherwise terrible crime is going to be much larger than any sentence you would get for, for possession of a gun. So, My point was always prosecute the cases before the shooting, before the robbery, before the murder. Those are simple possession cases, either the possession of a weapon that itself is unlawful or the gun is lawful, but the possession because the person's prohibited is not. If your goal is to stop violent crime, then then stop reacting to it after it happens And start trying to put some of these folks, get their attention and get the gun out of their hands before they do something terrible with it. Mm. And I hope I have addressed Dennis's questions. Dennis might be a law professor.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Trey. And thank you, Dennis, for taking us to law school. Our next question is from Josh in Kansas, and he writes, is there really an, an impartial news source out there?
0: You know, Josh, I actually got this very question. I was speaking on behalf of two of my friends. They teach a college class um, at 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 Walford, which is a small liberal arts school in my hometown. And both these guys are friends of mine. It actually is a healthcare class, so mm. it had nothing to do with crime or politics. But that was the first question I got: Is there an impartial news source? Impartial to me means just the facts, Um, but does that mean all the facts? So you can have just the facts, but just the facts that somebody wants you to have. It doesn't mean that you have all of them. The picking and the choosing of facts is itself, in itself, an editorial exercise. The decision on what is news is an editorial decision. I mean, think about it. Some stories show up quite often on some shows, and they don't show up at all on other shows. So this is my answer. Uh, The answer is no. Is there an impartial source of news? As I define the term impartial, there is not. So read it all. Watch it all. I'm primarily read, but um, watch, read however you get your news. But read it with a skeptical mind. And what I mean by that is cross-examine everything that you read and hear and ask yourself, are you getting all the facts? What is being left out? What facts are you not getting and why? I mean, the D.C. media loves to use what they call anonymous sources. If there's an anonymous source, then how are you ever going to determine the reliability of a source if you don't know who the source is? If the source is someone, say it's a story about, um, let's pick on a friend of ours. Say it's a story about John Ratcliffe. But the anonymous source doesn't know him, never worked with him, and never had a conversation with him. Uh, Okay, you have an anonymous source, but that source is not deserving of any of our attention. We need to know that. If the source is Michelle Ratcliffe, we need to know that because that's his wife. So it makes all the difference in the world who the facts are coming from. I am not aware of a source that just gives you just the facts and every one of the facts that you would deem to be relevant. And even if that were true. Just to flash my cynicism even more, even if that were true, what stories are they not covering? Mm. So maybe they do a great job with the stories you know about. What are they not covering? That's the way I do it. Read everything. Ask, how do you know that? What are the limits of your knowledge? Have you given me all the facts? What facts have you not given me? What witnesses did you not talk to? Who did you ask for input from, but they did not provide you with input? That's how I go about doing it. I cannot give you. So, you know, the way to get the truth, I think, is through cross-examination. So ask all these questions in your mind when you are reading an article or watching something on television.
1: Well, thank you so much, Trey. Great advice and great questions for us to consider when we're reading news and listening to it and watching it. So thank you. We'll answer more of your questions when we come back. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go
0: for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.
1: Our next question is from June in Mississippi. She writes, What books do you recommend for young people? One for men and one for ladies. She wants to get them for her grandchildren.
0: Oh, my Lord. This is going to get me in trouble because I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, everybody to me is a young person because mm-hmm. they're all younger than I am. So <laughs> I would recommend different books for you, Mary Langston, than mm-hmm. I would for, you know, a child that's like one of Terry's former first grade students, <laughs> I would not, I would not be good at recommending books for really really young kids, um, because I remember Goodnight Moon, and that's about it. <laughs> I, I really, my wife would know what books for young 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 kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I'm gonna assume. Or I'm going to answer the question as if the kids are um, older, you know, maybe teenagers. And um, I'm also going to give you this caveat. I I read a lot. I read a lot of books. And sometimes there are words in those books that we would not say in polite company. Mm -hmm. And I forget about them. But they just... You know, well, I don't want to break my mom and my wife's heart, but I, I just read right over them. They just—they don't have any impact on me. My wife can tell you every single bad word she's ever read in any book. She keeps account of them. I, I don't. So if I recommend a book and it's got a scene in it, or it's got a word in it, or a series of words, I don't want anybody getting mad at me. Mm. I just. I, my mind doesn't. Fo- I focus on what I got from the book, the life lessons, the 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 morals, if you will. I don't focus on the fact that you know the language may not have been age appropriate. So I'm giving recommendations for kids that are, are at least you know high school age, maybe even older. All right. So number one, I am biased towards the three that uh, that I wrote, not because I wrote them, but Um, I'm just biased towards them. There's one with Tim Scott on the power of pursuing unlikely friendships. And that book is titled Unified. And I think it's good for everyone because there's a lot of value in having relationships with people who don't look like us, think like us, worship like us, vote like us. Mm. I wrote a book on how to persuade people um, by asking questions. Uh, that book is titled Doesn't Hurt to Ask. I it is that book is used to teach a law school class, but you don't have to be in law school to benefit, I mean, from knowing how to ask questions. And it's not written for lawyers, it's written for everybody. And then I've got a book on making decisions. And I would really, really, really recommend this book for young people. Mm. Uh, that way they don't make the same mistakes I made. I mean, I don't want them winding up, you know, with the regrets that I have. So I would recommend that book.
1: Mm.
0: Now, having said that, beyond the three uh, that I had a hand in writing, um, most of what I read is historical fiction. Um, I I read very, very little of what other people call self-help. A lot of people swear by that. Uh, My friend Tim Scott um, reads some of that. Reads a ton of book on leadership. I like to read historical fiction. I'm gonna give you some titles but I'm going to issue my disclaimer again if there are words in there or scenes in these books that I have forgotten about I do not want people getting mad at me, <laughs> mainly my wife. Mm-hmm. So here goes uh, Gates of Fire by Stephen Pressfield Tides of War by Stephen Pressfield Afghan campaign by Stephen Pressfield. You may have picked up that I'm a Stephen Pressfield fan. <laughs> Circe by an author named Madeline Miller. Um, I love Greek mythology, but there is a fabulous point at the end of this book that is um, it is so thought provoking. I would recommend a book called The Alchemist. Uh, a L and then chemist. The Alchemist. I would recommend a book. I think Mary Langston, you, I, I think you've read several of these. I think you just finished all the light we cannot see, right? Mm-hmm. I would recommend Great that. Book. Yeah, I would recommend it. I would recommend *Anna Karenina*. It is a hard read, but if if, if young people are wondering what love is and what it is not, um, then I would I would recommend *Anna Karenina*. Right now, I'm reading a book called *The Water Dancer*. Again, uh, historical fiction, but so many life lessons. The Tattooist of Auschwitz, same thing. So many life lessons. Uh, There's a book called Exodus, and I don't mean the book in the Bible where the Ten Commandments are housed. I mean, uh, written by Eurus, Exodus. So I better stop there. I I love all of those books. Again, June let me know the age of of your grandchildren, and maybe I can consult with my wife and come up with a better... I mean, if they're like seven or eight, I need some help from my wife. If they're 17 or 18, this list I gave will suffice.
1: Well, thank you, Trey. Maybe you should teach a literature class next.
0: Um, you know... Well, you know, because I do teach class. I, I make them read short stories, even mm-hmm. in some of the classes I do. I, the Birthmark by Nathaniel Hawthorne. I I love it. I mean, literature can make you think. Um, mm mm-hmm. oh, That's why I like it.
1: I'm going to add one more to your list is, hopefully I have the name right, Mark of a Lion series. You and Terry both introduced it to me, and it's oh, yeah. wonderful.
0: Yeah, she's rereading it right now. She it's is. by Francine Rivers, yes.
1: Mm-hmm. But great Um, list, and hopefully that's helpful to you, June. But, yeah, let us know if there's a certain age and we can get back to you on it, June.
0: That is a great trilogy. There's a character in there that uh, actually Mary Langston and my wife both remind me of this character, Hadassah, um, because she, like, isn't real. (laughs) The guy who recommended The Gates of Fire to me is my very good friend Dr. Kevin Gilliland so for those who watch the show and kind of wondering, do you guys know each other? We've known each other since we were seventeen years old. He recommended the Gates of Fire to me probably twenty five years ago, and I recommended the um Francine Rivers trilogy to him. So that's I read I read the trilogy you just referenced before mm-hmm. I even read the Gates of Fire.
1: Wow. Well, thank you, Trey, for answering that question. And hopefully that's helpful to you, June. We have one more question, Trey, and it's from Don in Colorado. He writes, what happened to John Durham?
0: (laughs) What happened to John Durham? Well, he investigated for years. Uh, I know of one conviction he got by way of guilty plea that uh, there may be others. I'm certainly aware of that one couple of trials, um, lost the trials. And, you know, it's a whole separate podcast on losing trials. It doesn't mean the case should not have been brought. It means the person was found not guilty by a jury. So that's what that means. It doesn't mean there was no factual basis for it. It doesn't mean the case should not have been brought. Um, but he lost, He lost a couple of trials I can think of. I mean, to me, the moral of the story with John Durham is to be really careful with the expectations that one sets. Um, We were told uh, that John Durham was going to do lots and lots and lots of things and lots of people would go to jail and lots of people would be indicted. Not by John Durham. John Durham didn't say that. Uh, Prosecutors don't usually talk like that. But what we were told would happen did not happen. And, you know, is that his fault? I don't think so. I mean, think he did everything he could to find the facts. Um, I think the real fault uh, lies with our prejudging outcomes. I'm not aware of anything that Durham wanted or needed or asked for that he didn't get. um, But I still have the same questions I had all along. Um, You know, Durham was looking into the origins of the Russia probe, among other things, among other things. But the origins of the Russia probe. So the same questions I had the very first time Devin Nunes asked me to help, I still have them, which is why the FBI did what it did. And initially, um, when I met with the Bureau early on, I think Devin was there, uh, House leadership was there. Um, we were led to believe, well, I don't want to speak for them, I was led to believe the FBI did uh, certain things and did not do certain things. Uh, but the reality is the Bureau did a lot more than what I was led to believe. I don't want to speak for Devin. I don't want to speak for Paul. I don't want to speak for anybody else in the room. I just speak for myself. I did ask a lot of questions and I was given answers. Uh, and the, I was given answers by people that President Trump put in place. These were not Obama holdovers. These were people President Trump put in place. Uh, the answers that I was given um, were not accurate. So I still have the same questions um, I had back then. I just I just want the actual, the truthful answer now. Um, I want to know how it began. I don't mean the Carter Page FISA application. I know how that began. I mean, go all the way back to the very beginning, the decision To approach anyone connected with a political campaign, what was your predicate for that? Factual predicate. And you may recall, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but you may recall this, um, I don't know if it was the Attorney General Bill Barr or Michael Horowitz, may have been Durham, but there was this little conversation about that phrase, factual predicate, whether there was a sufficient factual predicate to even look. It doesn't take much to look. I mean, you stop and think somebody says, look, I think there's somebody walking around in my backyard. Well, the cops are going to come look. It doesn't take much to look. And that's what initially I won't say we what I was led. uh, They received a tip and they acted on that tip. I no longer believe that to be the case. So I don't know what Durham, I mean, what happened to him? The investigation is over. What's the result? I don't know any more, you know, other than Devin, Cash Patel, and John Ratcliffe, maybe Tommy Rooney, Conaway, I was I was as involved in this as any member of Congress. And I still have the same questions, Don, that you have. And that's after John Durham did his investigation. So I was hoping that he could tell us once and for all what happened, when, why. I was also hoping he could tell me why I was told something different. Um, But to date, my questions remain, and John Durham's probe um, has been wound down. And um, I still have the same questions I had the very first time I heard it, which is, why? Why? Why, why did the Bureau do what the Bureau did? So that is a not satisfactory answer, Don, but I am every bit as unsatisfied as you are.
1: Well, thank you so much, Trey, for answering these questions today. We appreciate it.
0: All right, Mary Langston. Um, I want you to field all the emails and <laughs> and tweets and whatever else we get about how in the world trey could recommend a book that had a bad word in it i want you to be prepared to say look his memory is terrible um and he just didn't remember that that word was in there <laughs> so i don't focus on that i focus on what i get out of it and mm. um some of these books are completely not age appropriate for small children but uh, some of them particularly when you get into your teens and you're looking kind of for the purpose and meaning and significance in life and you know what to what to kind of invest in with this gift you have called life mm. uh, these books can change your life so that's why i recommend it
1: well, thank you for recommending them, Trey. And we can always ask Terry if we need younger books.
0: Uh, or or books that don't have any bad words in them. Yeah, <laughs> she would be like really, really good at both of those. Although mm-hmm. I tell Terry, there are three words in the Bible that she won't let me say. So <laughs> I And mean, that's her favorite book of all. And there are three words in there I can't say. So I, I she, she's got pretty, pretty strict, like word count for me on what words I can and cannot <laughs> say. But she's got no control over what I think. And because I'm a golfer, I am free to think all those bad words when I'm hitting bad golf shots that I want to.
1: (laughs) Well, you do you, Trey. And hopefully we have good weather this weekend so you can be on the golf course and maybe not thinking those words, maybe thinking positive things. But that's up to you.
0: All that positive (laughs) self-talk. All my friends tell me, you mean you shouldn't scream at yourself i used to scream i hate you at myself after i hit a bad shot mm. i didn't really i mean i don't think i really hated myself but i certainly didn't like the result but i need to try that positive thing a little bit i guess but maybe i'll try it this weekend well so i'll let All you know right. how it goes
1: that sounds good and we will see you next thursday trey and thank you again for answering the questions
0: you're so welcome y'all keep them coming it's one of Mm. the highlights of my week and it's the uh, the only time Mary Langston takes my call so (laughs) keep the questions coming thank you y'all have a great
1: week y'all have a great week
0: listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app